moving us toward the celebration of our birth, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus. But one of the things that I want to just share with you this morning is this. We come and we celebrate today. We come with family. We come and we are uh, just overjoyed with the birth of our Savior. Yet the reality is, uh, the world around us is full of challenge right now, isn't it? I don't want to do a gloom and doom message, but I also want to be very realistic with the reality that as we celebrate today, we know that there are many parts of this world where individuals are being torn apart by war, uh, governments, uh, challenge, uh, those kind of things. And we look and we begin to wonder, you know, God, how long is it going to take? How long is it going to be until you come again and establish your kingdom? And one of the things that we're going to ask this morning is this simple question. With the current situation of our world, what can bring a sense of hope at Christmas? What, what is our hope? What drives us to continue to move forward? And obviously, we're going to answer that with our Savior, Jesus. But it's important to remember and recognize, and I want you to take a minute and just think about this morning, if you were to wake up, and what Christmas was about was the presents, the tree, the family, all of which are good. Please hear me. I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to see my family. I'm looking forward to spend time with them. I'm looking forward to opening presents. I'm looking forward to watching the kids open presents. I'm looking forward to the food. I'm looking forward to skiing, hopefully fast. Right? But what if? What if that was it? Right? What if Christmas was just that? And, and we go and we celebrate with our family. And then when we're done, we look around and we kind of say, gosh, I sure hope there's something out there that's better than what's going on in the world around us today. And what if there wasn't? What if it was one of these things where we were able to sit and we were able to spend time with our family, but we looked around and we were left with nothing to drive us forward or a firm sense of hope that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate today. Friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, as we gather this morning, I want to encourage you and remind you that at the end of the day, when Christmas is over, our hope continues because it's in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It not only continues, but it's firmly established and it's not going anywhere. And one of the things that I want to remind you in, as we've talked about the idea of Christ coming from the cradle to the cross, the idea of when we talked earlier about this picture being essentially the ultimate expression of God's love, Christ in the cradle but the cross behind him, may that remind us that the story of God is real, it is true. And just as Christ was born, Christ went to the cross. Just as Christ went to the cross, Christ rose from the grave. Just as Christ has ascended into heaven, Christ will come again. And therein lies the hope that we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus. But interestingly enough, we're going to take a look at the story of the Magi, and we're going to see two very different responses to the hope that is presented in Jesus. We're going to look particularly at the Magi, but we're also going to look at Herod. And in that, one of the things that I think is important for us to see and ask ourselves a very simple question is this. When confronted with Jesus, 
When confronted with the babe in the manger, when confronted with that Christ child, what is your reaction to Jesus Christ? Is it one of humility and exaltation and submission? Or is it one of oppression and denial? And one of the things that I want to ask you is simply this. Oftentimes we look at Herod and we think, boy, I wouldn't want to be him. But examine your own heart and ask yourself, how have I oppressed Christ in my life? How have I denied him? And what might I do to drive to a larger sense of hope in the year that it is to come? The story, you've uh, heard it, we read it right uh, just a couple minutes ago. We're going to be looking particularly at verses 1 through 12 in chapter 2 of the book of Matthew, and it starts off as this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Stop there for a minute. Just we have come to worship him. You're going to hear the same words in a minute from a different individual. But we're going to notice that there's two very different hearts to the words that are professed. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go make a careful search for the child as soon as you may... Uh, find him and report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Same words. Same outward expression. Yet two very different hearts. And so lovingly, the first thing that I want to just share with you this morning is in your outward expression of your worship of Jesus where is your heart for him? Because it's easy to say, I worship Jesus, because we see it from the Magi and we see it from Herod, yet we see two very different responses and motivations behind the worship that is professed. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented them with, him, uh, with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. What brings us a sense of hope at Christmas? And better yet, in worshiping Christ, where is your heart for him? One of the things that I want to share with you, and we're going to see this particularly in verses 1 and 2, is simply this statement. For some, the arrival of Christ will evoke a sense of hope and a desire to worship him. And friends, what I want to lovingly encourage you today is, is that you? 
Does the arrival of Christ, does the celebration of Christ's birth evoke a sense of hope and a desire to worship him? Or lovingly, are you just here to tick it off the box, go to Christmas service, do your thing, say, I went to Christmas service, got it done, God bless me, and move forward? We see in these two verses, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star to the east and have come to worship him. Remember, the Magi are prominent figures. These individuals aren't just lowly people. They are predominant figures in the culture of where they are. And yet what they do is they come forward and they recognize the arrival of the birth of Christ And what they do is they humble themselves and move forward in an authentic manner of a desire to bow before him and bring honor and glory to his name. Is that you? Would you travel that far? Amidst the busyness of your schedule, amidst all that's going on, amidst everything that you have before you, would you take the time and say, you know, we have seen the arrival, we have seen something, and we are going to take time to find out who and what this is to give honor and glory to his name. And lovely thing I want to ask is this. Would you go the distance? Are you willing to continue traveling the distance? And despite what may occur, as we see in this story, would you be willing to continue to go the distance when you discover that others are out there who are against Christ and not wanting to worship him? Friends, for some, the arrival of Christ will evoke a sense of hope and a desire to worship him. And my prayer for you this morning is, is that as you sit here this morning, as you think through the arrival and the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that that hope and desire is something that will fan a flame in you for the year that is to come. Because lovingly, what I'm going to tell you is, is we're going to move forward, we're going to get into the busyness of the year, and we're going to go back to essentially, our old habits. And lovingly, what I want to ask you this morning is, is will you take a moment and think through and say, Lord, my goal this year, my New Year's resolution, for lack of a better word, is not to lose weight, not to get healthy, not to do more exercise, although if it is, praise God, I'll join in with you. But something more important Father, my goal this year is to worship you even more. Don't know what it looks like. Don't know what it means. Don't know what you're going to do. But Lord, I want to open my heart 
to you more. Ask, seek, knock, and it shall be given to you. I don't think the Father is going to look at that and say, no, sorry, not going to do it. Imagine a child coming to you and saying, hey, Dad, I want to spend more time with you getting to know you. I don't think the Father would ever deny anyone that opportunity. And so lovingly, may I encourage you to think through and ask yourself a very serious question. Lord, how might I love you more? How might I get to know you more in 2024? Interestingly enough, we turn and we look in verses 3 through 8, we see a very different response. We've seen that for some, the arrival of Christ will evoke a sense of hope and a desire to worship him. But yet for others, the arrival of Christ will evoke a sense of dread, anger, and unease. There are two responses to Christ, and only two. One of submission, the other of denial. And pride is the one that sneaks in and causes us to deny our Savior. Interestingly enough, we continue on, right? And it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, don't, don't miss this. All of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked where the Christ was to be born. These people... These very people are the ones who are on essentially the inside. They should know what's going on. They are essentially the elite in this story. They are the ones who know the law. They are the ones who know the, the, the religion. They are the ones who are looking for the Messiah. They are the ones who have all of the internal information. And yet, what is their response? Unease, dread, and anger. We continue on in verse 5. In Bethlehem and Judea they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me so that I may too may go and worship him. The outsiders are the ones. The ones who are not in the know are the ones who understand what's going on. And they, through humility and grace, move forward to worship our Savior. Richard Gardner in the uh, Believer's Bible Commentary says this about this particular passage. He says, Take note that the motivation of the outsiders, the wise men, stands in sharp contrast with the motivation of the insiders. The word and the signs of a new king's birth cause the outsiders, the Gentile wise men, to seek and worship Jesus. Yet the same word and signs cause consternation among the insiders and leads Herod to seek and destroy Jesus. 
There's no difference. There's no, hey, for you, we're going to do this. For you, we're going to do that. The exact same presentation is given, yet there are two very separate reactions to the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The leaders of Jesus' own nation will refuse to acknowledge his lordship and will, in fact, seek his death. Other nations, however, will receive the one whom Israel rejects and will acknowledge his reign and his rule. And so lovingly, I ask you, where do you fall on that line? Friends, in your pride, are you going to push Christ away? Are you going to seek to destroy him? Are you going to seek to remove him? Or, in humility and in grace, will you come forward and say, this is my Messiah, this is my Lord, I want to honor and worship his name. And I love verse 7. Because we look and you can totally see the difference of heart in Herod versus the heart in the Magi. As soon as you find him, right? I wonder what they were thinking at that time. Something's not right here, right? As soon as you find him, report to me. Why? So that I too may go and worship him. A very serious question we must ask ourselves in our heart. Are we paying lip service to God or do we truly worship our king? Friends, we see two very different responses. We see the fact that for some, the arrival of Christ will evoke a sense of hope and a desire to worship him, yet for others, the arrival of Christ will evoke a sense of dread, anger, and unease. Why? Because for Herod, he is in a position of prominence. He is in a position where he is, quote-unquote, ruler of the land. He is in a spot where what he has, he wants and he has developed, and he is fearful that this king will remove what he has. And so often the response that people have to Christ is, why should I worship him? Because he will remove what I already have. The misunderstanding there is, is Christ doesn't remove what we already have. He comes and gives what we desperately need. And when we understand that, when we recognize that Christ is born to go to the cross to forgive us of our sins, our hearts should change and be transformed to want to honor and worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not to want to oppress or deny or to move because he removes our authority or our plan of life or our pride or our desire for how we want our life to go. And so in that, we look in verses 9 through 11, and the next thing that I want to show you is this, that when we remove our pride, and we encounter Christ, the result is hope and worship for our Savior. 
we continue with the story and we see that the Magi get the words from Herod. At this point, this is speculation, but I would imagine they're probably sitting there saying, something didn't seem right there. I can't put my finger on it, but I just, I, Herod didn't seem like he really wanted to go and worship Jesus. And later on we see, obviously, that God in his sovereignty comes forward and warns them in a dream that, yes, what you felt in your gut is real. Don't go back the way that you came. But for them, they continue on their journey. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Does the arrival of Christ evoke a sense of overjoyment in your heart today? Or are you here today just to tick it off the box and move forward and just get through the service to get back to your family, to get back to the tradition, to get back to the presence, to get back to whatever it might be, and you're missing the greatest gift of all? On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. I, I, I love this. Okay, they bowed down. Okay, we could just read they worshipped him, right? And that's fine, and that's good. I'm not saying that's wrong, but Matthew is very particular to say they bowed down and worshipped him. Prominent individuals who move forward and in an act of humility bow and give awe and reverence to the king. And so the next question that I want to ask you is as you come forward to worship Jesus, as you seek to honor him, are you bowing down before our God? Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Or are you coming forward and saying, God, give me this, do this, this is what I want, this is what you should do for me? They bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures. And they presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Gold, incense, and myrrh. Is that because that's all they had? We, we read this story, and if you were paying attention earlier in one of the songs that we sing, we discover the purpose behind gold, incense, and myrrh, don't we? We realize that there's a reason that those gifts are given, and they're a foreshadowing to who Christ is but they're also a foreshadowing to what Christ will do. The gifts of the wise men, they're given for their value. All right? These aren't cheap gifts. This isn't just a passing thought. This isn't just a, hey, we're going to a party. Oh, shoot, I forgot a gift. Let me swing by and grab something so that I have something to give so I don't look out of place. 
these are thought out and these are costly and they are valuable and they are honoring and they cause them a sense of being brought down. It is a cost to them to present these gifts to the Savior. And friends, what I want to share with you is this. When we realize the cost of Christ on the cross for us, it should cause us to want to bring costly gifts to our Savior. We see, first and foremost, gold. The gift of gold is the gift of royalty. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 14 through 25. It is an exaltation that this babe in a manger is indeed a royal king. It is an admonition that he is not just a child, but he indeed is king. Frankincense. It is a gift of worship. It is a gift that we realize. And the reason that that is important is in the temple, we realize that the, the, the burning incense is there in worship of God. It is the exaltation of the deity of Jesus. We see that in Exodus 30, verses 34 through 38. Leviticus 2, verses 1 through 16. Chapter 6, verse 15, and Numbers 5, verse 15. And then we see myrrh, right? Gold, frankincense, I I, I get that, and myrrh. And you kind of wonder, right? Did this third wise man, was was he the one that was late to the party and just swing by and say, oof, I see that you guys have gold and frankincense. I'm I'm traveling along. I better get something to give to Jesus. And he looks and he says, well, there's some myrrh. That'll do. The myrrh is the gift of suffering. Myrrh was used in the embalming process of someone who had died. If you look and you go back to the song, we read that myrrh was used when individuals were laid in a tomb. It is the gift of gloom. It is the gift of doom. It is a gift of suffering that is used for burial. And we see that in Mark 15, 23 and John 19, 39 through 40. What an interesting gift to give. Right? This is complete speculation, but just follow me here. The, the wise men arrive, they present their gifts, of which are all costly. And we see them give gold, which makes sense. We see them give frankincense, which makes sense. And then we see the gift of myrrh. And I wonder, I wonder if Mary and Joseph kind of look and go, huh. And in some polite way, They look and they say, that seems a little off. That seems a little weird. That seems a little out of place. But somehow, politely, they come forward and they thank this wise man for this gift. And then they go home and they look and they say, I get the gold and I get the frankincense, but myrrh, what's that all about? 
And in complete speculation, I wonder if 30 to 33 years later, Mary goes and says, I get it. I wonder, this is complete, I wonder if Mary says, now I know. Now I know why that gift was given. I wonder, speculation, if the very gift that was given at Christ's birth is the very gift that was used. to lay our king in a tomb. Speculation. But it all begins to make sense. That our child has come as king of king and lord of lords, maker of heaven and earth, born a babe in a manger, yet God in the flesh. All of those things are true, yet that God in the flesh has come not to live, not to reign, not to rule over, not to oppress, not to dominate, but to serve and to die on a cross so that we might have eternal life. And I wonder, in the hope that was there as Mary lays Jesus in the tomb, where that hope had gone. And friends, what we will do, and it will be early this year in March, is we will go through those same emotions as we celebrate Good Friday, yet the hope that we have is there because we know what's on the other side. And that is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, giving us the forgiveness of our sins, triumphing over death, and bringing us back to a right standing before our Lord. That's what's going on here. And so we look and we see what goes on. And we see how in being humble before God, it brings about a sense of hope to us. But yet we see very different responses to the arrival of the Messiah. One of the things that we will see and will continue on with is this. We get to the kind of latter part of this this, uh, passage, and we see in verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country on another route. Friends, one of the things that we must remember and recognize is, is that as much as hope that Christ gives, as the joy that we celebrate at Christmas, this may cause hardship from those who are seeking to persecute Christ. May we realize and remember that as we worship our Lord and Savior Jesus, that there are people out there that do not want to worship him. But yet in that, may we continue in our hope. May we continue to exalt our Savior and bring glory to his name. We look at the Magi, we look at their response, and it is so different than that of Herod. And so the questions that I want to leave you with today is simply this, where is your hope? Number two, is your hope in Christ? And if your hope is in Christ, what is your true response to the birth of our Savior? Is it more like the Magi or is it more like Herod? We've asked this question with the current situation in our world. What can bring a sense of hope at Christmas? And that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to leave you with essentially this statement. When we encounter the hope of Christ in our lives, This should cause us to remove our pride and worship our Savior.
And so that being said, what in you needs to be removed either to worship Christ for the first time or for those of us who are in Christ, how can we continue to lay down our pride to worship Christ all the more? Earlier in the sermon I said the one word of encouragement that I give you, the one uh, thing that I would say as you move to 2024 is simply this, how might I worship and honor you more, Lord Jesus, in the year to come than in the year past? That's a great question to ask, and that's a great aspirational goal to have. And I promise you that God will take that, and he will say, let me show you. Let me take you. Now, I'm going to be honest. doesn't necessarily mean that next year is going to be a life of ease, doesn't mean that by asking that question and honoring God that way that you're going to get what you want, how you want, where you want, and when you want it. Your life actually might get harder in wanting to know God more. But I guarantee you that when we come and we worship 365 days from now, your sense of hope will be all the greater in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and there is no better gift. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for looking at how two very different individuals respond very differently to the exact same presentation. Father, I pray that when we say that we worship Christ, we're not just paying lip service to you. I pray, Lord, that we truly bow down before you and honor you as Lord. Father, remind us of the gifts that we're given. Remind us that these were a foreshadowing to truly who Christ is and would be and will become and has become. Father, may we remember and recognize that indeed the gold is a gift of royalty, frankincense is a gift of worship to the deity of Christ. Yet myrrh, that sort of awkward gift, is the gift of suffering used in burial. And yet it is the gift of myrrh which is so essential to our salvation the death of Christ on our behalf so that we might have eternal life. Lord, as we go about our worship this morning, as we go about the contemplation of the birth of our Savior Jesus, may we always put it in this context. May we always put the cradle next to the cross. And Father, may we always look at the cross as the conduit to how we might have eternal life through you. And Father, may our hope come from knowing that the cross wasn't it. The cross wasn't where Christ remained. The tomb wasn't and isn't where Christ has remained. But Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, and we celebrate that that at Easter. And therein lies our hope amidst a world that is in decay and slowly churning and moving away from you. But Father, this isn't our home. This isn't where we belong. This isn't what we're destined for in Jesus Christ, but rather we're destined for your kingdom. We're destined for a place of peace and rest and joy where we worship you throughout eternity in heaven. Father, thank you for that gift. Thank you that that gift begins with the birth of our Savior, that it moves to the death of our Savior, that it's demonstrated in its power and authority through the resurrection of our Savior. And ultimately, it is established through the coming of our Savior. We thank you. 
We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus. We ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen.